I always thought that nachos were the the most lonely food to eat by yourself until I was on tour alone and I went to a fondue restaurant and then oh, I got fondue funny. for one. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't ready. Okay. Welcome to We Can't Print This. It's a podcast telling the story you don't know. Behind the story you do know. I'm Fiona McCann. And I am Eden Dawn. And every week we interview a writer of some kind about the stories behind their stories. And this time we have the lovely, wonderful, talented Laura Gibson. Woo woo! Laura is an internationally acclaimed multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, and producer who has toured four continents and holds the distinct honor of performing the very first NPR Tiny Desk concert. Wow, that's cool. Between albums, she also earned an MFA in fiction writing from Hunter College, completing her thesis in the back of a frickin' tour van. Now that's impressive. She's cooler than us. And Laura talks to us this week about earworms and how something can just get inside your head and take hold and then how it morphs over time into becoming, for her, a song she wrote. And, you know, you can have earworms that are audio, which I think is the most famous use of the phrase, but you can also just have sort of these ideas or little niggly things that may not be a song that got in your ear and you couldn't stop singing, but could also be an idea idea or a thought or some little obsession that just kept tapping at the back of your mind until you finally got it out. Yeah, when we were talking to Laura, I was thinking about, for people who don't know, in Salem, Oregon, there is the greatest amusement park that's ever existed. It is called Enchanted Forest. It is this family-owned amusement park that this fellow started in the 60s by carving into the woods and making all these kind of like cement nursery rhyme things anyways it's a delight and I mean I I think you have to make it clear it is really an amusement park like no other you're not talking about a Disneyland massive metal roller coaster I mean this is one guy who made things out of wood in the most bizarre and kind of amazing way in the forest like in the forest in Oregon where it rains a good chunk of the time and yet you still go It was just like a spot we all love. And I just like couldn't shake how cool of a thing it was. And then years and years later, as a reporter, it became their 45th anniversary. And I pitched it as a story and got to go write it. And then in perhaps an unprofessional but wonderful move, um, I took my uh, now husband with me who proposed to me while I was... (laughs) Right after I got he done. He said, I'll give you a story. Yeah, right after I got done interviewing the, the patriarch of the family who's in his 90s now in a black light glowing seven dwarves mine ripoff thing that's so wonderful. But I couldn't shake it in my brain my whole life of like how cool that place was and how I wanted to know more about it. And literally it became a story. And then I just sort of appointed myself as the Enchanted Forest editor. And every time it needed written about after that, as you know, I was like, dun da da da, I'm here. I know. Some of us were like, I've also been there. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Nope. Doesn't matter. But it was the perfect confluence then, which I think is sort of worth noting. Sometimes you have the idea and you have to wait for its time to be right. And you're like, you pitch it and you pitch it. And your editor is constantly like, yeah, but why now? Why now? And then finally you're like, an anniversary. 45th anniversary, <laughs> right? Yeah, it worked. Yeah, it, it did actually feel good, too, to have it in print and, and to get to go and ask him, because that's the greatest part about journalism is you get to ask 
people questions that maybe normally wouldn't answer you those questions. You're like, no, let's sit down in official capacity and let me grill you on all the things I wanted to know about this place since I was nine years old. And then they answer. It was so delightful. And it really scratched an itch in my brain and felt so satisfying. And it has become the definitive story about Enchanted Forest, let me be clear. Well, you're doing that Irish thing where you're just a super cheerleader and borderline <laughs> liar. And I love it so much. It's true. It's true. You won't see anything like it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee. It's funny. When I was thinking about earworms, I, I couldn't stop thinking about audio earworms and I got stuck on that and the well you also have an ear for music in a way that I do not have I mean a you can sing and I cannot Mm. and b you not true uh, we do a great had the time of my life I mean we do have a great dirty dancing karaoke bit where we 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 perform together and I'm so close to being able to lift you up (laughs) I'm so close to being able to Patrick Swayze you someday we'll do the lift we should go back and practice on that log in the river again (laughs) (laughs) true um but I think you have a real ear for music and so I was wondering when earworms comes to mind as something else rings true for you I mean the one thing I can keep thinking of is this a song her name is Rio. Do you remember that song? Um, yes. At my 21st birthday at midnight, there was a Duran Duran cover band and they played that song for me and I danced to it just after drinking so many shots. And Duran Duran were kind of like cool but pop in some way that they somehow managed, or at least that was my impression of them when I was like younger. And I remember that song was, I, I it's one of the few songs I can remember. The moment I heard it, I can remember the seeing the video on television and being like whoa swimsuits my god it's racy and sexy and I don't even know what's going on here and then immediately pulling out of my smash hits which was our like sort of pop magazine the double page spread of like John Taylor the guitarist from Duran Duran who was like my heartthrob but that song was so meaningful for me and as you know Eden 750 years later when I am sitting in my desk at Portland Monthly and I get an email saying, Duran Duran's coming to town. Would anyone like to interview them? And I think I pretty much fell off my chair because I immediately found myself transported back with that song in my ear. And I was like, and I got to interview John Taylor, like the hottest of the lot, if I recall. So that's the... That's a time I remember something that got stuck in my ear when I was really, really young, finally came to fruition so many years later. Which was so entertaining for us because as your roommate, office mate at the time, and as your friend slash tormentor, that all of us were outside of your glass wall office putting our foreheads against it and harassing you while you were attempting to complete this interview you'd want to do your whole life. And we basically all turned into like older teenage brothers and... Wasn't awkward. Wasn't awkward at all. The thing is, it didn't matter what you were doing out there. I only had eyes for John Taylor, who was on the phone. So that's what happens when you work with the same team of writers for a long time, (laughs) is we basically just find ways to kind of harass each other lightly during interviews. It's true. It's true. And you got a great story and you went backstage and you met him and you danced, I know. So because you came in the next day just glowing like a schoolgirl. But you know what? I still don't really know where that song completely came from, to be honest, despite I got a bit starstruck and I don't even remember what I asked him in the moment, but I didn't get to the sort of behind the story on that particular song, which is why it's so interesting that we have Laura Gibson today telling us sort of about the birth of a song, which began in a way that you may not completely expect. 
Yeah, and that's how earworms work, right? We don't we don't understand why they get into our brain. They just do. And then you have to find a way to eradicate them. And she figured it out. You write it out. You write it out. Laura is an internationally acclaimed multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, and producer. She is also an excellent friend who went to see Magic Mike 3 with me last week without having seen one or two. So That's legit. That. I did get a very good summary of one and two on the on the way there from Eden. Well, it's really hard to summarize because they're so complex. You know? Well, two is the <laughs> feminist anthem of our time, and it's really about friendship and trying to make sure you don't get too lackadaisical in your pleasing of women. That's what I would like to say. And, and the way to please women is to go to see Magic Mike 3 with said women. Or Magic Mike 2 at home. Okay, I'm impressed. And also, Laura, this is the first time we've had a singer-songwriter writer in no. the studio. So this is Most- exciting. It's just a lot of drama inside my head. It's a lot of drama inside <laughs> your head that we want to hear all about. Thank you for coming in to us. Thank you yeah. for coming. We love you so much. And we're going to talk about the story behind a song on your album, Goners. Yes. The song is called Performers. I remember exactly how it started. Tell us, tell us. It was 1964. (gasps) Didn't expect that. Wow. That's very suspicious. I didn't, were you even born then? No, she has Benjamin Button scenario (laughs) happening. Uh, The Beatles were about to play their second set on the Ed Sullivan Show in Miami. This is real. This is really where it started. The Ed Sullivan Show recorded in Miami? At the Fountain Blue Hotel. I did not (gasps) know that. Um, So yeah, February 1964. I had really been wanting to work on writing fiction outside of songs but was and kind of on the very last bit of playing shows on um my previous record um which was called empire builder and gorgeous record by the way thank you um and those songs were just felt like the most personal songs i'd put into the world and i had just been performing them performing them performing them i had two months earlier been to europe for a festival and then I had come back and um, and was desperately wanting to take a break from performing and, and just write, but had to finish these last shows. And so I had a two-week tour in Europe. That was going to be my last two weeks, and I was so, so tired of playing. And this show offer came in to play a festival in uh, the Canary Islands, but it Woot woot! I just yeah. have to give it up for the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had never been to the Canary Islands. Um, Little did you know. <laughs> yeah, you're in Party Central. I had no idea, but I it seemed beautiful. I knew there was a volcano, and I like volcanoes. You do like volcanoes. I have a quick question. Were you yeah. touring with a band, or were you by yourself? So I had done a bunch of touring with the band, and okay. then the last little bit, I was just hitting these last few festivals, um, and I think it would have been about three weeks total, until this offer came in, and it was just a week later, and so it would extend my tour to be four weeks. And I thought, well, it's, it's a little, it's more money, and... When else am I going to get to the Canary Islands? Mm-hmm. And so I said yes. And even though you were wrecked at this point, I was and you were like, well, I wasn't wrecked when the offer came in. The offer came in. Um, this is a mistake I've made so many times after a really long tour thinking like I'll be super down to spend a week in Barcelona or, <laughs> and hang out. And I never am at the end well, of the Because it sounds great, though, doesn't it? Yeah. And you're over there. 
Um, so I was so, so tired, and I suspected I would be so, so tired, but I thought, I just got to do it. And they said they would, the festival said, we'll, we'll put you up for a, a whole week that Ooh, w- in between weeks. So, so nice. it just felt worth it Yeah, for a paid week in the Canary Islands. In a delightful place where you're like, I can recoup there. Yeah, I'll see the sunshine. It'll be great. And festivals are very overwhelming for me, but can be very fun. And and I was doing all these shows solo after having a band for a lot of a lot Ooh, of the touring. That's hard. And also, so I, was taking I a, just want to say festivals, I think, are overwhelming for everyone. As a somebody probably, who, who can't play anything, maybe I less them. overwhelming when you get to hide backstage than actually. I mean, oh, they're so fun. Though, it's true. Also. I mean, as a what's spectator, festival spectator, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I was spect- I was trying to relate to our guest. So. <laughs> No, but uh, there's the porta potties are tough. But other than that, no. Know. Backstage, you get the nice ones. Yeah, the artist tent. Mm. Um, a lot of them were um, these very wonderful UK festivals, but the people there come with their like their boots and their coats oh, yeah. and all their stuff. And I am right of passage. That's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And I, as someone trying to fit as many records into their suitcase as possible to sell for merch. You didn't Just, bring your welly boots. No, that's there's no space for that. Oh my gosh! And um, so so it just felt that I was doing these like, very muddy festivals that seemed really fun, but you can't quite enter in fully like in the way that other people are. And um, to to explain that they are extremely muddy, and you can't even imagine you if you are not. You're saying like so, like I haven't been the girlfriend of band members and toured <laughs> festivals and even toured festivals in the UK. Let okay. me mansplain festivals. I've to been you. back. I've been backstage <laughs> in uh, Nottingham Forest or where Sherwood Forest, whatever. So, I had a, I had great shows. It was I met lots of wonderful people and was so so tired at the same time and and also playing these songs. You know, after the pandemic, as I was relearning all these songs, it sort of seemed absurd to me how so much of my life I had gotten on stage and shared these really vulnerable things and in the form of songs, which you can hide behind a bit. Also, it almost starts to sound like you're lying about your own story because you've told it so many times Mm -hmm. or you're like performing this version of yourself, but you've since moved on, but you're still sort of in the form of singing, performing this version of your of yourself and and telling your story in a certain way, because it's in within these songs and. But you might tell it differently. Now. That's so interesting because you have to stay present tense in this emotional moment while you're singing and performing the song. In reality, you might be like, "I've moved on. This has been healed," or "I feel differently about this." But you have to stay kind of locked in that moment. In time. Yeah, I don't often play songs for my first record because they just sound very lonely. I just I think it was very lonely, <laughs> and and um, but there is a way to reconnect with that. Like it's you know you're you're sort of capturing um. Moment an emotional moment yeah. and and then entering back into that is what's so great about songs but also can just be tiring and and sometimes I'm just like I'm done with this moment in my life I want to yeah. I want to move on to the next moment and yeah so it's just this strange version of of performing and then and then also I'm much less on social media now but it was kind of at the time where you're supposed to be just letting everybody know how awesome your your tour is going and how constantly you know, posting yeah, and and, and it, like meanwhile i'm just you know i was eating 
nachos alone, which is wonderful ever For so a often. Day, yeah. yeah. I always thought that nachos were the the most lonely food to eat by yourself until I was on tour alone and I went to a fondue restaurant and then oh, I got fondue oh, for funny. one. Wow. Yeah. I think they kept doubting me. Like I was like, no, I'll have the house fondue. And they're like, are you sure? Like no one will be joined. We'll oh. just leave it. We'll leave a napkin here in case. Just giving you this Do you want us book? to bring someone out for you? Do you want us to help <laughs> you make a friend? But it is so funny thinking about you having to, like you were just saying, having to get on social media and be like, yay. Coming to you from such a place where yeah. everything's going amazingly. Yeah, live in the dream. And and then you're like, nachos for one. Hashtag blessed <laughs> with my nachos for one. <laughs> and <laughs> nachos for, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a restaurant someday that sells nachos, nachos for, for one. one. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I think it's great. So you get the Canary okay, Islands so offer. I get, yeah, so I get the Canary Islands offer. I say, yes, I'm going to be gone for a month, which is a long time to be alone, yes. um, but it does not occur to me because I wanted to make the money and do the thing. And because it's a vacation in the Canaries, yeah. And and so and at the time I was sort of trying to decide. I had moved to New York for grad school, but was felt like Portland was home, and and I was still trying to f- figure out a relationship if it was long distance or what was happening. And so it was like. A, felt like a very hard time it just felt hard to kind of extend that I had been sort of living in limbo for a year and a half touring this record and then just to extend the limbo Mm. a month more felt just extra exhausting yeah um, and somehow excruciating it's like seeing a light at the end of a tunnel that just keeps moving away from you yeah should we have our across the pond correspondent Fiona McCann quickly explain to us the Canary Islands. How do you encapsulate the Canary Islands? Because it's I like mean, a it's a tourist spot. It's a major tourist spot, particularly for English people, and it's sort of like Grand Canaria party spot, but also maybe back in the original days it was like a young person's party spot. But I feel like now it's it's become a little bit like the Florida, maybe. I don't know. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the Florida of okay. Of England, yeah. because it's, even though it's not in England, I don't know if that makes sense, um, but it will become clear. <laughs> so it was very beautiful, and the actual festival would be taking place the following weekend, and it was in this beautiful little village in the center of the island. But I was not staying there. I was staying in the hotel zone, and which was made a lot of sense, because I could walk to places. I could hop on a tourist bus to the volcano, and it was made the most sense for for staying but also like the hotel zones to be clear is like this is where you go for your package deal all the meals all the entertainment all in so i I brought a video of the downstairs of the hotel that i took because i went to the little club downstairs Mm -hmm. and to get your get your groove on um yeah i just you sort of had to pass through the club (laughs) to to get out of okay. the hotel. And so, as you can see in this video, I'm showing you guys, the people listening cannot see, but there's a lot of old folks and they are having a great time. And there's a DJ and it sounds like that. Okay, I'm just gonna narrate over. This is a brightly, a sort of brightly lit room. That's way too bright for a club. It's a brightly lit room. First issue. I can only see mainly 
there's yeah. a lot of gray hair and yeah, mainly semi shiny heads, which I feel like is a dance party I can I can get behind. Yeah, and, no no judgment. Um, but so I went I would go down to the club, and also oh the other thing was you could eat in the restaurant every like they set me up so all my meals were also in it's the rest, all included restaurant yeah. in this hotel, and um, so all of the nights except like one night. I would walk downstairs to go exploring in the morning and it would just say salsa night. So it seemed like most nights of the week were salsa night at this every hotel night, club. Every day is Taco Tuesday. <laughs> no, every day is nachos for one and every night is salsa <laughs> night. It's yeah. a theme. It's like a, a Roundhog Day or something. You're like, I'm stuck in salsa night forever. Yeah. And I would lie in bed and I would just hear salsa night like, doom, 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 that beat. And, um, the like clave rhythm and hear that and then I'd walk around and it felt like I was sort of walking through a cruise ship and and all these people were on vacation and partying a lot of like, stag parties from the UK and and I was just everybody was on like there to be in this sunny vacation paradise and I was so depressed and so lonely just walking around through it but I found a lot I discovered a lot walking around. One was there's a plaque that the Beatles had been there, which made me think of this Beatles story that I was wanting to write. So I thought, I was oh, wondering I when the Beatles were going to come back in. Oh, yeah, I really <laughs> let them go. Sorry. And you know, but it's good. It's like, I know they're going to come back. And you brought I it had back. been, it, if you tour around Europe, like I feel like half the places have a little plaque that are like, when the Beatles played here, like they've been, they've been all over. They really I got, love a historical They really plaque. got around. Thank, thank yeah. you to everyone ever who puts up a historical plaque. It just really makes the it's day nice better. It's nice to know who I is there. It. Also in the Canary Islands, I went into this garden and there was a historical plaque there that said that when Agatha Christie fled the UK because she was getting too famous, she went to Tenerife, this island, and she went hiding and stayed and stayed there for on Tenerife for a while. And she would go to this garden to just chill out. And so interesting. Yeah. Agatha Christie, the whodunit of where the murder mystery writer escaped to. <laughs> yes. Back to the Beatles. And I was like, Oh, I should write on this. I should, I should go work on this story about looking through the Beatles as they're, as they're walking through Miami and hanging out in Miami and sort of, thinking about performing and, and who they are. And, and so I started working on that story and I wrote down this line, sweat silhouettes on hotel sheets, which was, was something that happened, that <laughs> happened in this warm, warm place. Then I picked up my guitar and started playing this riff that sort of felt like the salsa night rhythm that was going on. And it sort of <laughs> like played over this like rhythm that had been pressed into me by staying and sleeping above this this club where it was salsa night every, every night, night. Um, every night every night and so I just put those that first this the first line of this song um, has changed a bit but it was like something something through the curtains sweat silhouettes and at the time I'd write on hotel sheets and I I changed the line eventually and then I believed you then I believe you still and. And that was sort of the line I had. So I'd walk around Tenerife and sing and like kind of add some words to this line. And it started to feel, I started to imagine the song being about these ways we perform to each other and 
I was performing in, in this one sense, but I was also navigating relationships where there's always this sort of performance. It, there just is performance in how you present yourself in, in relationships. And, mm -hmm. um, and the relationship I was in, I was thinking how different, had I met this person now, how different my own, how different I would tell my own story. And, and yeah, who you would be. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so I was thinking about those things a lot suddenly everything started to feel because I was in this on tour and in this sort of weird um, social media hell that we live in where I just felt like I was performing all the time and where and suddenly everything just felt like a performance um, which it is on some level and mm -hmm. um, but also you know we're, we're also earnest most of the time on a certain level and and, and it was so, exacerbated by all of these elements that were going on. Yeah. yeah. Well, so being on tour that long did, does feel, especially without people, because I, I mean, I find that every day, even in a professional capacity. Like sometimes I say I'm playing the role of Eden Dawn just by going into yeah. the world, which is very different than like when you're with your girlfriends just having a glass of wine or with yeah. like Ashad and I are home petting our cats. Like you, you, you don't feel like you're, you have moments where you're not performing but when you have to be up in front of people, which you are nonstop for weeks, you just kind of get the gear stuck in performance row. Yeah. And there's no, in, you know, I'm, I'm also like performing intimacy in this way, um, but it's not real intimacy. It's it's a performance of intimacy that that is why people connect to my songs. And so to do that over and over again, I start to go through the world and and on one level, I'm wondering what's performance and what's real what's anywhere. Real. And, yeah. um, and so this is a thing I was thinking about a lot. And, and so I'd walk around and then I did go up to the volcano. Um, and you can take a little aerial tram to the top. I got a little woozy cause it's pretty, it's maybe 14,000 feet. Mm. It's pretty, pretty tall. That's too tall. That's, tall volcano. that's airplane height. I don't, <laughs> I don't like being that high up. <laughs> and it, that would and scare so I pants off me. I walked around you. feeling like a little like, woozy and um and from the elevation and was still working and kept thinking about this song what this song was and then I played my set at the festival on the last day and uh it was it was really wonderful and I felt so good being done and then you know many flights later <laughs> I I went back home and I still had this song and then I got to the point where I was in the studio to make my next record and it's like, well, I have this. It's not finished. I just it was this thing I was playing when I was in the Canary Islands. And so I recorded the guitar and some gibberish vocals for the lines that I didn't know. And, and we recorded horns and everything on the song. And so this whole song existed with a, just a few lines that I had written. Um, and then uh, just a lot of gibberish. Of oh, a scratch, wow. Scratch I, what, is a gib what does a gibberish say? It's like? the lorem ipsum of musicians. Yeah. I didn't what know is such it? Is it like existed. rhubarb, rhubarb, or what are you saying? Um, no, it sounds like words. Now, it's, I don't know if I can do it without. It's the <laughs> like, cigarette kind of. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Like, like just sort of fake, like word sounds, but. Um, Sing, jong, and, and some and sometimes it Great does. Job. Great job, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you can use me anytime. Sometimes the gibberish sounds really good when you go to try to fit words. You can it never yeah. sounds as natural. Oh, oh, I'm like it was better in or, gibberish. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes the gibberish versions, the gibberish lines, you end up writing words because oh, I use that k k like that k sound, mm -hmm. and I that's need I need that. So I so the word the gibberish ends up like dictating 
what words you oh, place there later. Right. So my you God, have you to fit, totally blow my mind. You have to fit kazoo into the song somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Like, Shh, I it need just that Z. I need that I need Z it. sound. What else is there besides kazoo? Wow. <laughs> so I needed to get this record finished by the end of the year, and I, that song in particular I didn't have. And so I went to the exact opposite place of the Canary Islands. I went up to Joseph, Oregon, and stayed in the Jennings hotel for mm-hmm. a, like a week and just to finish not lyrics. salsa every night there not salsa not. night no it was very quiet I was the only one in the hotel um at the time during the during the weekdays and um and so I just sit and throw logs on the wood-burning stove and just try to pound out these lyrics and this song was the hardest on this whole record to do because I'd had sort of had this image that began at this very sunny but also depressed <laughs> kind of moment for me. And um, and I was back at this time and was like kind of working through stuff in, in this what had been a long distance relationship. And, and so I thought about the song and thought about performing and what it was. And I, and I started imagining the ways we perform intimacy and I started imagining what if this was like staged as a stage play and so then I started thinking well that okay then I can set up this sort of stage part of it and then kind of move from looking at this stage thing happening of this performance happening and then move towards intimacy as though I'm watching it performed on a stage and um and so that unlocked the song, and I finished writing, writing in it in the snowy, snowy mountains. Bright arm of light through the curtains, sweat silhouettes are the velvet seats. I believed you then, I believe you still. What a switch! Canary yeah, it's, islands to, to Joseph. Yeah, and Major then I geographies. Yeah, and so that um, so I changed the first line that about the curtains of the hotel room and hotel sheets. I changed it to um, bright arm of light through the curtains, and they were, became stage curtains, and then sweat silhouettes on velvet seats. Um, <gasps> thinking of the theater, See what it changed. You did there. Yeah, changed locations, but it still retained the ideas that I was really wrestling with in the song. I wanted to retain those things, but I needed I needed to sort of set it in a new place. It couldn't exist. Um, I had taken I had taken that salsa rhythm from the Canary Island, but the song <laughs> the song couldn't exist um, in in Tenerife. There it needed to needed to f- exist in a new space, and that space was the sort of like stage play that I was kind of imagining in my head. Um, Although conceptually, so much came from that moment too, right? I mean, this yeah. idea of performance and you know what you were experiencing. Definitely, yeah. I just, um, I just sort of changed the setting, but kind of kept a lot of the feelings the I li- same. I like it because it feels like, though I do not write songs, and I don't think I could, but I think all writers take breadcrumbs from their life and put it into their work, 
it's taking that little bit from the Canary Islands. It's taking the little bit of what you were thinking about and the feelings you were going through while touring. And then it's taking the little bit of what you were experiencing in Joseph and all of those things come together. And I think we all do that as writers is you're just constantly picking up little, instead of leaving breadcrumbs behind Hansel and Gretel style, we're picking breadcrumbs up as we go and forming them into one lovely meatball. Yeah. I always feel a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where's she going with the crumbs? I I, I like that review of, of my song. Formed Eden, it into one, one lovely meatball. Mm-hmm. Meatball says for one. Done. One lovely meatball. And said by a vegetarian, you know? So that's how you know I really meant it. Yeah, you meant the meat. Yeah, I meant it. Or is it the opposite? <laughs> I don't know. A veg- I mean, maybe it's a vegetarian meatball. I want yeah. you to work in nachos for one in there somehow as well. Well, you could <laughs> do that, right? You pick up a chip from each place into a lovely plate, oh, and, and then you, you poured your hot molten cheese upon everything that's exactly what happened that's and it. it became nachos for one it became, became nachos, nachos for, for one. one done it nailed yeah. it which is <laughs> the name of, which is the name of your next album you're yes. here to announce right now nachos right. for one now, will nachos be for out one. <laughs> late November 20 <laughs> yeah but it is so funny as well because you know my first encounter as a listener is in one space and one moment and then you don't think about all of this huge tapestry of things that have gone into creating that, which is amazing to me. Like it starts here and the Beatles are in this and Agatha Christie's in there too somehow (laughs) and performance and social media and really old people dancing to salsa every night, like Groundhog Day in Tenerife. And then also Joseph Oregon and also a state, I'm like, it's, it's complex, ma'am. I don't know where I was going with that. Other than that, it's so strange to me that all this gets distilled. And then I have this encounter with all of this that's behind it. Yeah, I do kind of feel like a magpie a little bit in how I write. And especially if I've been touring, I've done a lot of sitting at home and writing in the last many months. So the next record might, it'll still be magpie-ish, but I won't be pulling from volcanoes and, and the Beatles and Pulling from Magic Mike 3. I'll be pulling from Magic yeah, Mike 3. You can 3. pull from this if you want. It's fine by me. Um, and from this conversation. Yes, from this um, exact conversation. Nachos for what? I won't make eye contact with her <laughs> over this. I think it speaks to the fact, though, that people... I have watched people watch you play, which is always such a thing when you get to feel so proud of your friend when you watch them play and you watch other people absorbing the thing they're doing. And I see how much your music resonates with people and they feel it in their heart. And now that I know a little bit about like the process of this song and how multi-layered and complex and all of the emotions that were going on in your entire world that you managed to get into a few stanzas, it makes sense to me why they're so drawn to it. And people will take your song and bring it to Tenerife. I mean, not to Tenerife specifically, but you know, I will like, I will take your song somewhere else I mean the geography of that song is going to be so expansive when yeah, you think about I it I do love that I mean I love that with other people's music I have certain songs that I listened to in certain places I, I love how music exists in geography and interacts with with geography I also love the idea of listening to new music in a new place yeah it's neat it's just back I was down in in the Everglades National Park a couple weeks ago, and I had done this residency. And actually, um, this Goners record that Performers is on, a lot of those songs began there. I hadn't been back, and it had been six years. And just when I was down there two weeks, I 
had so many of the feelings that I had writing those songs or different lines came to my, that I wouldn't have, if you would have asked me here where I wrote that line, I would have had no idea. But then once I was back in the landscape, I, I remembered exactly where I'd written that line or what was going through my head. And, and I think especially this, this record really feels because I was so on the road with it and um, it really feels connected to place and often it's not till I go back to the place that I remember <laughs> that that's that it is does have connections in a place so when I go back to the volcano in Tenerife I will remember <laughs> some of these lines that I wrote there plus when you switch careers and you write your first murder mystery you're gonna have a great tale when you're out on your your PR campaign it's true yeah this is true well Laura i I am so appreciative of you coming in. I feel like I've learned so much about how to write a song now. Maybe I could write in gibberish as well. Would that help my articles if I'm like... First draft. First draft is like... And then I'll just put words to it. I think this is going to be... This is really going to unlock a lot. Um, but I really appreciate you coming in and sharing that with us. And I always love hanging out with you anyway because you're such a gem. Awesome. And I feel like you open up so much to me every time I'm with you and hopefully to all our listeners as well. Just to remind you all, Laura's website is lauragibsonmusic.com and you can also follow her on Instagram where she fakes all sorts of things. Uh, total fake. Total, total fake. Don't believe it. Don't believe Don't any believe of it. it. It's all nachos for one all day long. But she's at Laura Gibson Girl and you can also go out and get the album Goners and I'm going to re-listen to it after here. It's a beautiful album and now it means even more to me. And that's it from We Can Print This for today. So you can see more info about these episodes at wecanprintthis.com. And you can follow us on all the socials where we also perform <laughs> all the time at We Can Print This. Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. And now that I see you looking at me, I realize I owe both you and Dave a brunch for a prize you won at a party two years ago. And I will be following up <laughs> on that shortly. Everyone heard it here. Uh, this podcast was recorded at the Writer's Block in Portland. Shout out to Monica Geller for her support. And the biggest thank to our third work wife, Rachel Ritchie, for just being great and um, letting us eat her cauliflower snacks. She does. They're my snacks, though. Oh, whoops. Okay, <laughs> well, I owe someone cauliflower snacks. And brunch, apparently. I know. The debts are God. large with this one. If you were a writer, also with a great behind-the-story story, please let us know. Write to us at wecanprintthis at gmail.com, and someday this could be you. You could be here with us. LG, we love you. Love you, too. Love your work. Love your work, LG. Okay, that's it.